0: Now, to advance a distinction that Van Til makes precisely along these lines, thinking of the transition from Adam before the fall to after the fall, and the natural revelation and testimony of the Spirit that he suppresses, Van Til makes a distinction that is commonplace for Van Til, but not well understood among his interpreters. Van Till distinguishes between the psychological and the epistemological when it comes to Adam's post-fall relation to God's natural revelation. Let me define them the best I know how, and then quote from Van Till and develop it. When, when Van Till's talking now about Adam and his relation to natural revelation post-fall. There is a psychological and there is an epistemological distinction that he makes. The psychological pertains to what is ineradicable within him and what is inescapable outside of him by way of natural revelation. So this psychological, when revelation comes, it's got an external and an internal dimension, which we've talked about. Externally, the revelation of God is inescapable. Internally, that revelation of God is ineradicable. So the external revelation is inescapable. The internal, ineradicable. Now, that brings into view the psychological, God's act of revelation. Inescapable, ineradicable. The epistemological refers to Adam's response as a sinner to that psychological reality, to that inescapable external and ineradicable internal revelation of God. The epistemological pertains to Adam's response as a sinner to what is ineradicable within him and inescapable outside of him by way of natural revelation. That's my language to describe Van Til. Now let me give you his quote. This is on 6263 of Common Grace in the Gospel. And this is his way of moving us toward a reformed and not traditional Roman sort of natural theology. He says, quote, the necessity of introducing the distinction between the psychologically and the epistemologically interpretive God still speaks in man's consciousness. Scripture says that from the beginning he has spoken there. It says that man has known this fact and that by his efforts at perversion he has well nigh succeeded in silencing the voice of revelation. But that deep down in his heart he is still aware of that revelation and will be held responsible for it. We must not lower these claims to the probability level. On the subjective side, we have done, we are done or have done with a Romanist type of natural theology because we realize the sinful nature is everywhere active. There are no capita communitia on which believers and non-believers can agree without difference. There are no central truths on which all agree The disagreement is fundamental and goes to the heart of the matter. So, when you think about this distinction, and note that Van Til's not making, he's not using these terms in ways that they have been defined by professionals either in psychology or epistemology. He's using these terms to describe the revelation of God on the one side, psychological. And it's the response of the sinner on the other side, epistemological. And his point is this: The psychological Freventil stands for what is inalienably true for man as an image-bearing creature after the fall. After the fall, God continues to reveal himself in nature and in conscience. And that cannot be erased. The psychological stands for what permanently endures by way of God's revelation in nature and conscience after the fall. No matter how the sinner tries to suppress, reject, destroy, or eradicate, that revelation remains. And so the psychological pertains to that External, internal, inescapable, ineradicable, self-communication of God. It is a constant feature of human existence, image-bearing existence. But the epistemological stands for what is inalienably true for man as an image-bearing sinner who continues to suppress that revelation from without and from within. The epistemological is the response of the sinner to revelation. The psychological is the registering of that revelation itself. And so, Van Til's point is that the psychological and the epistemological categories, as he defines them, render the truly concrete situation of the fallen image-bearer as one who psychologically possesses, yet epistemologically suppresses the atmosphere of revelation outside and inside, without and within. And he says this, if we take both the original human nature And the sinful human nature. And realize that everywhere both are active, we are done once and for all with the natural theology of Rome. And so, Van Til brings this particular section to a relative conclusion when he says this, pages 63 and 64. He says, thus we are no longer face to face with the dilemma with which Gilson confronts the Calvinist. This is the traditional Roman Catholic theology Van Til's referring to. As long as we seek refuge from Romanism by having less Romanism, we shall not escape the sword of Gilson. To withdraw to the inner fortress of central truths and make even these merely probable in the objective field and to withdraw to the psychologically primitive in the subjective field helps matters not at all. Gilson will still find us. Quite rightly, he asserts that the attenuations of language are of no help in this matter. If we speak of the sense of deity and the seed of religion and mean by that some degree of common epistemological response on part of the believer and unbeliever, however small the area of agreement, and however primitive the nature of the response, Gilson has a right to confront us with the dilemma. The escape from this dilemma lies, as we believe, in doing what Kuyper and Bavink and Hep have all at one place or another told us to do, namely, offer an interpretation of life in its totality on the, basics, on the basis of Scripture. That principle leads us to the ontological trinity. Now what is he saying here? Ventil is making explicit that if we take the distinction, as he gave it, between the psychological and the epistemological, the believer has everything in common with the unbeliever in terms of the psychological. Both are exposed to and receive the external and internal, inescapable and ineradicable revelation of God in nature. But they respond differently. Their response is the the response of Adam after the fall. It is suppression. Van Til is saying there can be, quote, no common epistemological response to God's revelation in nature, given the fall, due to total depravity. But Van Til makes another profound insight in this rather lengthy quote. He says, if we take the sense of deity and the seed of religion and mean by that a common response from the regenerate and unregenerate, we have denied Calvin's entire doctrine of sinful suppression in favor of a toned-down view of sin operative in Roman Catholic theology. So, here's what he's saying. Some could take the sense of deity and the seed of religion and say that it means not merely a common revelation from God, but a common response to God after the fall. That is the Romanist theology that Van Til says we must avoid. A common response, or if you remember from the earlier discussion, we've got it marked out here on the board, a common consent to the truths of natural revelation and the testimony of the Spirit are precisely what cannot be found given sin. So Van Til says, if we are to find commonality, the commonality must be found in revelation itself, not in the response to it. There's commonality in terms of the giving of natural revelation, but there is no commonality in terms of response after the fall. There is psychological commonality in the context of epistemological difference. The psychological speaks of man from the side of God's revelation, the epistemological man from the side of its ethical response, man's ethical response. And in this distinction, Van Til locates a proper understanding of how we can both speak of revelation being received on the one side, communicated by God on the one side, the psychological, and suppressed on the other side. And the epistemological. Once we understand that distinction, we understand that both the creational, what God has created man to be, a receiver of revelation, and the sinful, the fallen, both of these are operating at the same time. This, for Van Til, is a concrete understanding of man in relation to God after the fall. Now, this point. The Ventil's making really reduces to a question about the nature of sin and its impact on Adam and its expression in natural revelation and what the Spirit is testifying to concretely. And Ventil is saying that we cannot tone down or domesticate our doctrine of sin he's saying it leads toward a Roman Catholic view. Now, I haven't talked in detail here, I've alluded to it, about the Roman Catholic view. But I want to make a reference to my professor, Robert Strimple, who in his class that I took with him back in 1994 on the image of God, Dr. Strimple reminded us of this point, and then I'll give you the quotation from George Smith. He said, your theology... Is only as good as your doctrine of sin. And he said one of the chief defects of traditional Roman Catholic theology in the tradition of Aquinas, Bellarmine, and Trent is it diminishes the, uh, the sin of Adam and its effects upon its pos- his posterity. Strimple made explicit that what Happened in the fall on traditional Roman Catholicism is not the corruption of the whole nature. And on this point, Strimple quoted from George Smith, a traditional Roman Catholic, who in a two volume work entitled The Teaching of the Roman Catholic Church explains classical Roman Catholic theology in the following way Adam indeed lost by his sin all supernatural gifts, but did not lose anything belonging to his nature as man. So also the human nature he handed on to his children is perfect in its kind, having in it no natural defect or infection or vile inclination that could be looked upon as the direct result of sin. The human nature is not corrupted in its entirety by the fall. It is just this human nature, substantially untouched by the fall, that traditional Roman Catholic theology affirms and the Reformed denies. So what does that mean? Let me put it basically. It means on the traditional Roman Catholic view that this new relation from a passing from favor to wrath, from righteousness to sin, involves the loss of what is accidental to Adam. But his nature, his mind, his nature, his will, his nature, his affections, have not been intrinsically vitiated or corrupted by sin. Smith makes that point on page 334 from the book we just read. This is Van Til's entire point. It's the point Strumple is making by appealing to the primary source Citation from George Smith. In the Reformed distinction between psychological and epistemological, natural revelation of God continues in its internal and external forms, but the revelation itself changes. It changes in that wrath emerges, it changes in that wrath emerges in relation to Adam as a sinner. In the new relation of sin, the Reformed affirm that God's relation to man after the fall is one of wrath, and man's relation to God is one of rebellion. Now, to make a broader point, and to bring this home, uh, we've talked not only about strimple a little bit, I've given you a quote Uh, that Strimple uses from George Smith. But Gerhardus Voss, in his Reformed Dogmatics II, 13 through 14, talks about the deeper Protestant conception. And I want to make a comment here because I think it it bears on a problem that the Reformed have in reading, uh, certain Reformed uh, uh, theologians have in reading the Reformed tradition here. John Fesco has um, recently... Uh, written uh, an introduction, a foreword to Gerhardus Voss's Natural Theology. And he ascribes to Voss a Thomistic understanding of natural revelation without ever speaking of Voss's theology of human nature as the image of God. And the thesis that Voss makes is that what you think about natural revelation, the nature of sin, and the character of grace is determined by what you believe about the image of God. To put this in the context of Van Til, um, and I'll, I'll give you this quote from Voss here in a moment, what you believe about the nature of the image of God will control what you believe about a... Natural revelation before the fall, B, the nature of sin, and C, natural revelation after the fall. See, here are the A's and B's and C's. A, natural revelation before the fall, B, the nature of sin, and C, natural revelation after the fall. Along these three lines, Voss sees an antithesis between the deeper Protestant conception of classical Reformed theology and the deeper Roman Catholic conception represented by Thomas and Bellarmine. What you believe about the image is decisive when it comes to the ABCs of creation, fall, and its consequences on natural revelation. Voss said that in the deeper Catholic conception, It is only by something that raises Adam above his created nature that Adam became a religious being, able to love, to enjoy his God, and to live in him. For classical Roman Catholic theology, Voss says, the image of God does not itself include natural religious fellowship with God. This deeper Catholic conception posits a supernatural gift, a donum superadditum that elevates Adam above his human nature and enables fellowship with God through supernatural deifying grace. The donum infuses an ontological and ethical supplement into Adam that inaugurates a supernatural participation in the being of God and begins the process of a graced fellowship with the persons of the Godhead. That ends in deification. Ends in seeing and participating directly in the essence of God. Roman Catholic theology, according to Voss, contains an externalist religious principle. Voss says, out of this follows, quote, entirely the externalist character of Roman Catholic religion. It becomes something added to man that he has, but is not identified with him. He does not; it does not enter into his essence. That man is like God in his natural sense is a purely deistic relationship. Fellowship with God in the, uh, the, the end of the quote. Um, fellowship with God in the deeper Catholic conception comes to Adam from a supernatural gift of infused grace and not from a natural creational image endowment. Now, here's Voss's argument. This nature-grace-externalism leads to a defective conception of sin in traditional Roman Catholic theology. Voss says, according to the classical Roman Catholic view, quote, man can only lose what was not essential to him. Namely, the supernaturally added gifts, the dona superaddita, because of his fall, these are lost. The essence of man, the imago, consisting in formal existence as spirit, in liberum arbitrium, freedom of the will, remain. Because, however, there was no inner connection between the similitudo and the imago. The removal of the former cannot essentially change the latter. The liberum arbitrium might be weakened a little. In reality, it is unharmed. In other words, by loosing the moral powers from the will, the capacity of the will, and by denying that the former are natural in man, Rome has in principle appropriated the Pelagian conception of the will that capacity of free will has remained, and with that the possibility that man, after the fall, can do something good. Do you see that? Voss is saying, on a Roman Catholic view, there's no need for common grace. There is no need for it because there is no total depravity. There's a... An, uh, a loss of supernatural, but a maintenance of natural ability. Now, to come back to Van Til and Hep, it is precisely in that idea of common consent to the truths of general revelation where Van Til finds a concession to natural theology in a Roman Catholic mode of reasoning. You see, To have common consent, you need something like this. I'll use a homespun analogy that Van Til would talk about often. For man after the fall, and this is actually something Van Til got from Bellarmine, it's like a man before the fall was was unclothed as a creature, and then the super-added gifts are like a hat and clothing. He's richly clothed upon by the supernatural gifts. But in the fall, he doesn't cease to be a man, he just loses his clothing and his hat. He loses the supernatural, accidental endowments, but his nature remains intact, fundamentally unspoiled by sin. And when Van Til hears Hep and other Reformed theologians, on the basis of general truths of God revealed in nature, and the Spirit's uh, non-saving witness to them, and common consent arises in light of that. Van Til saying that is a Romanizing tendency, a natural theology of a Roman Catholic sort, a traditional Roman Catholic sort. So to sum up, Van Til affirmed the need to develop the general work of the Spirit in common grace. He agreed with Bavinck, Kuyper, and Hepp that the foundation of common grace is a non-saving operation of the Spirit. This is a concrete starting point. But on the other hand, Van Til sought to avoid what he perceived to be Hepp's diminished view of natural revelation that makes concessions to a traditional Roman Catholic approach. What is that approach? that the Spirit testifies to abstract truths in general or abstract principles that can lead to a knowledge of God and due to the Spirit's testimony, there can be common consent between believers and unbelievers. It's that conception that Van Til denies. Why? It effectively denies the new relation of Adam to God in sin that includes within it a change in natural revelation. After the fall, the Spirit bears witness to this new relation, and the sinner suppresses and resists the Spirit's testimony to this new relation. Van Til is concerned that Hep has begun with a concrete reference to the Holy Spirit, yet strayed into the abstract natural theology of Rome. Now that leads us toward our next topic, the Roman Catholic view, according to Van Til. Is abstract rather than concrete. It's time now to ask and to get into the heart of Van Til's common grace theology. What is the positive line of concrete reasoning that begins with the ontological trinity, moves to the eternal decree, and views history as covenantal and conditional? What is that theology? That will be the substance of our next lecture as we consider Van Til's positive line of concrete reasoning in light of these seminal discussions that he's engaging in with Roman Catholics and what he would consider to be less consistent forms of Calvinism in the pursuit of a robust view of the spirit, natural revelation, and common grace, and a concrete history of special revelation.